Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus, because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. Hello and welcome to everyone gathered here, as well as those who are watching and listening online. Glad that we can all be together in this way. If you would please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We are going to read the story of Jesus' conversation with a prominent religious leader in Jerusalem. A few of us, maybe many of us, who came up in the same religious tradition and heritage can't help but view this conversation through the lens of baptism. And while baptism is part of the conversation we're about to read, we'll soon see it is about so much more than being immersed in water. So let's begin reading chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. His name is Nicodemus. He's Jewish. He's a son of Abraham. He's a Pharisee. He knows his Bible. He's a member of the ruling council. He has status and power standing in his community. And he comes to Jesus at night. Perhaps because it was common for rabbis to come together and study and discuss and go over the scriptures at night. Or perhaps he didn't want his fellow Pharisees to know that he was coming to visit Jesus. Or perhaps there's another reason that I'll save for later. He opens 
with a compliment, saying to Jesus, look, we can tell, we know these miraculous signs you're able to do, that sets you apart. There's obviously something special about you. And it's tempting for us reading to classify Nicodemus as a curious seeker who genuinely wants to know more about Jesus. But his motives are far more ambiguous when we place this conversation within its larger context. At the very end of chapter 2, just before this conversation happens, in chapter 2, after Jesus has already cleansed the temple, which comes early in John's gospel, and after he's already clashed with the religious leaders, John tells us in verse 23 that now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. In other words, Jesus knew there was a huge difference between being impressed by his ability to perform miraculous signs and actually understanding and accepting the deeper truths to which those signs pointed. So when Nicodemus comes to Jesus and opens with a compliment, we can take a cue from Jesus and not immediately trust his motives or his intentions. And Jesus, for his part, notice, he brushes the compliment aside and goes straight to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus, telling him, Everyone must be born again if they want to enter the kingdom of God, which in John means if they want to have eternal life with God, everyone must be born again or born from above. The word Jesus uses in the original language has a double meaning. It can mean again or it can mean from above. And then John employs a literary device that scholars refer to as a stupid question. And these stupid questions are scattered throughout the Gospel of John as people in conversation with Jesus demonstrate their complete misunderstanding of what he's talking about. Jesus is communicating up here. Everyone else is listening and understanding down here. There's always something more to what Jesus is saying that it seems no one in the Gospel of John understands. And in this instance, Nicodemus seems to take Jesus' statement about being born again literally. He asks the question, can someone as old as I am be born again? He even employs the nonsensical image of a grown man crawling back into his mother's womb to be born. Come on, Nicodemus. Really? And Jesus clarifies, saying, I don't mean it literally, being born again. I mean being born from above, which Jesus paraphrases as being born of water and the Spirit. And it's likely the water Jesus is talking about here is connected to baptism in some way. There's a lot of baptizing going on in the early chapters of John. John the Baptist is baptizing crowds of people in chapter 1. And then 
if you keep reading at the end of chapter 3, you see that Jesus and his disciples are also baptizing more and more people to the point that at the beginning of chapter 4, the Pharisees are alarmed because Jesus is now baptizing and making more disciples than John. Baptism, being immersed in water, was a demonstration of repentance and surrender to God. Those who were coming to be baptized by John the Baptist were declaring their desire to be part of this new thing God was doing that John was announcing. God was about to do it in Jesus, and they wanted to be a part of it, so they surrendered to God and were baptized, even though they didn't even know who Jesus was at the time. And those who are coming to Jesus and his disciples to be baptized, likewise, they're declaring their desire to be part of this new thing that Jesus is talking about, that God is doing in Jesus, even though they don't fully understand who Jesus is at the time. Baptism was a way to show up and open up to whatever it was God was doing in you and in the world. And people have been responding to the move of God in that way for thousands of years now. We'll see next week in John 4, Jesus does use water as a symbol for God's life-giving spirit. So there is a connection between water and spirit. But in this conversation, Jesus describes the spirit as being like the wind, which blows wherever it pleases. Didn't we learn just a few days ago you can't control or manage the wind? You can't control or manage the spirit? It blows, it comes as it pleases? You can resist it, And many people in Jesus' ministry did and still do, but it is so much better when the wind of God's Spirit blows to surrender to it and go along with it. So when Jesus tells Nicodemus that you must be born again from above of water and the Spirit, he's asking Nicodemus, to surrender control and let God work in his life. To surrender control of his life and let God's spirit go to work on him. And Nicodemus responds to all of this crazy talk about wind and water and being born again from above with the question, how can this be? And it's, at this point, I wonder, is Nicodemus really this dense? He's a respected teacher in Israel. Is he really this dense? Or does he just not like what Jesus is telling him? Upton Sinclair once said, it's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends upon his not understanding it. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his power and privilege and his standing in the community depends upon his not understanding it. 
So what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is that it does not matter that he's a son of Abraham. It does not matter that he's a Pharisee. It doesn't matter how long he had to go to school in order to qualify to be a Pharisee. It doesn't matter that he's a leader in his community. He, along with everyone else, enters the kingdom of God, the family of God, the same way. By being born from above of water and the Spirit as children of God. And no wonder Nicodemus cannot understand what Jesus is saying. Because if he understands it, it will undermine the foundation upon which his whole life is built. If he understands it, he will have to relinquish control and power over the ethnic boundaries and religious borders, and as we'll see next week, the gender restrictions that the wind of God's Spirit is obliterating through the ministry of Jesus. No wonder so many powerful religious leaders opposed Jesus and started to look for ways to get rid of him as his popularity grew. Jesus represented a windy, spirit-filled revolution that undermined their power and control. The last thing we hear from Nicodemus in this scene is a question of confusion and misunderstanding. How can this be? Which ultimately is why I think Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Because John is sneaky with his symbolism, more than the other gospel writers are. Pay attention to the symbols in John, because in John, darkness represents ignorance, misunderstanding, and rejection. There is darkness and there is light. Come out of the darkness, step into the light. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he, like so many others in the gospel, is in the dark. Yeah, that's right. You can be devoutly religious, know a lot of Bible, be a leader in your community, and still be in the dark about Jesus. Who he is, where he's come from, and what he's come to do. But I don't think Nicodemus stayed there in the dark. He shows up two more times in the Gospel of John. The next time is in chapter 7 when his fellow Pharisees are looking to condemn Jesus because they cannot manage or control him and they refuse to understand it. And he says in chapter 7, verse 50, he says, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Now, that's hardly a confession of faith. But it is a risky point of order to point out when everyone else has already decided Jesus is guilty. Wait, 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 wait. Shouldn't we just listen to him? Shouldn't we hear what he has to say before we condemn him? And then he shows up a final time at the end of the gospel, near the end of the gospel, in chapter 19, after Jesus has been crucified. Verse 38 and 39, it says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. 
but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. We're left to speculate how Nicodemus responded to the news of Jesus' resurrection. But given his trajectory, he seems to be well on his way to stepping out of the darkness and into the light with Jesus. And if that's the case, what is it that brings him out of the darkness? Well, I find the answer in something Jesus says after Nicodemus' final question, how can this be? Jesus refers to an obscure passage out of Numbers 21 that tells this bizarre story of how the Israelites are being bitten by poisonous snakes in the wilderness because they were complaining too much. This is in the Bible. You can read it yourself, especially you complainers. They were being bitten by poisonous snakes because they were complaining too much. They get tired of being bitten by poisonous snakes, like you do, so they repent, and God has Moses make a bronze snake that he places on top of a pole and puts it in the camp so that everyone can see it. And then, if anyone is bitten by one of those poisonous snakes, they can look at the bronze snake lifted up on the pole and be saved. They will live. It's a means of salvation in the wilderness. Jesus references this story, and in John 3, 14 and 15, just before the world-famous John 3, 16, he says this to Nicodemus. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. In John's gospel, when Jesus talks about being lifted up, which can also refer to being exalted, he's always talking about his crucifixion. It's his crucifixion. That is when Jesus is lifted up and exalted. So what Jesus seems to be saying to Nicodemus and to anyone else who reads this story, including us, is that it is his death on the cross that finally, ultimately, reveals the truth about who he is and what he's come to do. It's when Jesus is lifted up and high and exalted on the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that his glory is revealed. Not just at his resurrection, at the empty tomb afterwards. No, his glory is revealed from the cross when he's lifted up 
and exalted. It's the cross. It's the cross. The symbol of God's love for the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, John 3.16. It's the cross that opens our eyes and opens our hearts so the wind of God's spirit, the breath of God, can breathe new life into us and into the world. It's the cross, the glory of Christ crucified, that coaxes us out of the darkness and into the light where we find not shame, but salvation. It's the cross that calls us to begin again, to be born from above of water and the Spirit as children of God. May we never take our eyes off the one who was lifted up to give us new and everlasting life. And to help us maintain our focus on the cross, let's go to the table. It's the table where we are reminded with the bread and the cup of Jesus' body and blood that was broken and shed for us. This, this is the table. Not of the church. We don't manage or control it. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. Made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have much faith and you who have little. Come, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, for it is the Lord who invites you, and it is his will that those who want him and those who want to be more like him should meet him here, the table of the Lord. And for this bread, we give thanks. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. And for this cup, we give thanks the blood of Christ shed for you. If today the wind of God's Spirit is blowing in your heart, nudging you to begin again, calling you to be born from above of water and the Spirit, if you sense it's time for you to surrender your life to God by being baptized, immersed in water, something followers of Christ have been doing for thousands of years now. Or if you're curious about it, you have questions about it, I'm going to hang out up here up front immediately after we read the benediction. I'll be around up here. I'd love to visit with you, answer any questions, or just listen to your story. You can also visit with any of the other ministers or your gathering circle leader or anyone else here you know and trust with this kind of conversation. Don't resist the Spirit. 
when the Spirit blows, it blows, and rather than resist it, surrender to it and go along with it. That's where life comes from and where we find our life. So let's stand now and read the benediction. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus. Because we honestly believe following Him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.